When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Those Forbes lists are funny. I did 2006s for Forbes and, and Zach O'Malley-Greenberg, who's, who's been the editor, I think, just about ever since. And other people had done them before me, but it's a wild process because you, you kind of, some artists will basically, they won't turn over their tax records like Ye did, um, <laughs> but they'll, they'll say yes, no, higher, lower, as you're showing them numbers. Like you play like a negotiation ping pong. And it was funny the year that I did it, some artists wanted nothing to do with it. Like there were artists that were qualified that would tell me, um, no, 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 the number so that basically they don't appear in the list. They don't want to be audited. I think that, I think that now it's a much different game. Um, and we do, we see like the constant competition between like Puffy and Dre and Jay and for a while 50, you know, you see it in there um, where those guys are always going to be in it. Yeah, Kanye wanted back in that conversation. It's also interesting to me, though, that he's just yet another example of uh, a hip hop artist who has only become insanely wealthy and through else. branching out doing something else. Right? The music is always a proxy, yeah. whether it be Dre and headphones, Puff and Ciroc, Jay and you know um, the Live Nation stuff, and um, and Rock Nation management and all that other stuff. Yeah, Latifah and Will Smith, yeah. you know, on and on. They all parlay it. You know, it's it's a shame that, like, uh, the thing that makes them the most relevant can't be the thing that they make the most money. I think hip-hop will always be a void for the people. Hey, what's going on, man? What's happening, man? Doing well. I like the uh, like the beard. Yeah, thank you. You just say it now that you mean it. I mean it this time. <laughs> Thanks. It goes well with the Masterpiece Theater, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, man. <laughs> next time I'll have a pipe, a smoking jacket, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, absolutely. Like there you go. Uh, can you get something in the fireplace? <laughs> yeah, it's going to be burning, man. You know? There you go. How you doing? Man, I'm, I'm doing well. We haven't spoken in a few days. It's good to... Uh, Good to see your face. How are you? So long as we've gone without talking to each other? Over the course of this podcast, for sure. And, and with that said, maybe, yeah, maybe life. That's crazy, right? You know? Yeah, you miss me. I do. I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, lots to talk about. First of all, that Havoc interview was dope, man. I'm so glad we got that. Uh, Absolutely. I'm looking forward to more stuff coming up. I know we got a couple things going on um in the next few weeks which uh will leave for a surprise but i'm really looking forward to that definitely me too been a big uh couple of weeks first of all um you know i think we'd be remiss not to start with uh fred the godson you know yeah um hip-hop's first loss to COVID 19 pretty crazy um what were your thoughts uh you know um about it and and fred in general yeah, I mean, I um, it's just sad, you know. Um, you and I were together one time, you know, and and talked to Fred briefly. Um, but much more importantly than that, he um, 
he's one of these artists that I really feel got better over time. And, um, you know, I, I really thought that he was getting to a place where he'd have a very noteworthy album under his belt. Um, some could say he already has. But to watch, you know, Corona intersect with hip hop on this level is something none of us wanted to see, you know, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, the last couple of weeks have been really, um, you know, you had the Michael Rappaport rant on IG where he was going at hip hop for not acknowledging it. But I'm not sure what he's really talking about because there are a lot of people that it's affected and they've been very open with it, you know. Um, not acknowledging, you mean not acknowledging Corona? Yeah, yeah, you know, he had an IG rant where he's talking about hip hop not like uh, stepping up and like taking it seriously and really kind of getting the message out. He was talking particularly kind of about uh, alluding to the current generation, but you know, um, yeah, I mean, I think that it's touched hip hop like it's touched everyone. You know, Fred being um, the most serious. You know, um, yeah, you talked about that time that we met him uh, with. Uh, with Apollo Brown and Joel Ortiz, you know, I actually met him maybe like 2011, 2012, something like that. It's right after he was on the freshman cover, you know, because he his year was like what, what, like Kendrick and Crit, yeah, and um, uh, I can't remember who else, but like it was like a really high powered um, freshman year, and you know, he was uh, in the conversation with all those guys, you know, and I think that he was really underrated, you know, he had. Mm -hmm real laid back style as you know um but his punchlines you know, yeah you'd have to go back and rewind multiple times just to catch the double entendres you know um he really yeah i put him in the back room in bet on 106 in park when i was there you know wow. uh, i had him in there um he did the cypher one year and you know one of my favorite freestyles is the one he did with Funk Flex about two years ago. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, to the best of both worlds with R. Kelly, and you and I had a little uh, back and forth about that uh, about that freestyle back in the day. Yeah, I mean, you know, you and I were at a place with Ambrosia where it was, you know, that Fred is part of a class of artists. Um, you know, I think like Papoose is one of them. Um, you know, a guy like Ransom. Um, you know, Saigon, they're like these products of New York mixtape culture, like the actual physical mixtapes that really made a name for themselves and built careers. And I think that in a lot of ways, Fred is kind of the youngest in that class. And, you know, in, in, in recent years, it was kind of hard for us to have a place to cover his music um, on the site. And I know we had some discussions internally of like, will our readers like this, all of that. And then he came with, I guess it was 2018, um, this freestyle on Flex, which is, you know, a launch point earlier in his career, too, in the early, you know, 2010s. And he just demolished it. Um, and you really saw, you in particular, really saw the light in that at a time when, sad to say, you know, Fred wasn't necessarily part of our, our content strategy. He later came back and we covered him a lot in recent years but yeah what do you remember that yeah i mean why, why do you think that man like uh, we our site was i think one of the most pure sites in terms of recognition of artists with lyricism with substance yeah you know not predicated on radio hits and commercial success but really on artistry um what why do you think we got kind of put into that box where we really had to um, kind of locked down and really focused more on artists we thought might bring more high wattage? Well, that's a really good, good question. And um, 
I think the standard has changed a lot too. And that's not to say that an artist like Fred doesn't meet that standard, but I think that people crave songs and there's like a few different lanes for what people want. Um, a fully made song um, isn't something that I had heard a lot of from Fred in recent years. And that is no way to discredit him. That all changed. Like he had, I'll, I'll come back to that, but yeah, I mean, those artists, didn't always make the most complete songs, but when they went and did freestyles, when they did ciphers, when they did, you know, one minute, you know, covers, um, that's where they could take it to another level. Do you see it differently? Well, yeah, yeah, I do. I, I want, I guess uh, what I'm really trying to get at is, you know, this touches on another artist who has been really affected by COVID, which is Westside Gun. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, he just dropped a, an album, uh, Friday, right? Um, was it Friday, this two Fridays Friday, ago. Two Fridays ago, which is uh, just phenomenal. I, I love this album. Um, but he was very quiet about his experience until recently. He just did an interview uh, where he opened up about it with Peter Rosenberg and just talked about in great detail how much it affected him and like how he had thought he was okay and then he had a relapse and was in the hospital and like thought he was going to die. You know, like yeah. really that serious. Um, but, you know, in, in the course of the interview, um, and you, you and I have spoken with him and, and with Benny and a whole group's other crew mm -hmm. on a few occasions. Um, it's interesting to me that they fit the exact same criteria you just described, right? Like uh, underground, yeah. not necessarily like hooks and not making radio music, very dense lyricism, uh, hardcore, uh, hard scrabble, but they have managed to go to a whole different level than almost anyone in um, in their 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 peer peer group right now. Um, how do you, why do you think that is? Why do you think so? That's some, that's some that's a good parallel. Doesn't. I think that at some point there becomes a narrative built around any artist, and now with social media, they can control their own narrative and really broadcast themselves. But I think that like Fred, you know, I personally, not being in the two thousands, early two thousand, your culture. I didn't know a lot about him besides what we had both said, like one of the best at punchlines, you know, impeccable timing, always found the pocket, really took his independent hype to, to high heights with the double XL cover, but you didn't know a lot else about him. And Griselda, here we are um, three years after, three years to the month, I believe, after they announced their signing with Shady and have made documentary videos, have gotten a lot of coverage. And at that point, you start to get invested. Um, you know, you, you can make the same argument right now for somebody like Reason with TDE. Like, watch what happens this year when people start to learn who he is as a person. That persona and coverage will take flight and the recognition comes after. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I, I do think that, and, you know, um, not to say that Fred didn't do this, but I, I think that in general, artists who really pour their life into it, like open up and let you see who they are as people, yeah, are the ones who thrive. You know, that, that's the commonality between like a Kendrick, a, a Cole, a Drake, yeah, um, Griselda. You know, uh, all these cats really, you know, are incredibly transparent. That's that's why we loved Boogie. You and I, um, yeah. You know, um, even like an Eminem. Like, I mean, like um, for all the gimmickry and everything that he had, and the, like the dense lyricism. I think it was the songs like where he would like drop hints about like what's going on in his life with his daughter and, you know, his, his baby yeah. mom and all that stuff that really kind of separated him from, from most other people. Definitely. Yeah. I mean like Joe Budden, you knew the names of his exes long before 
you know, there was ever love in hip hop. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, man. Uh, so yeah, rest in peace to Fred. Um, Gun, it sounds like was really, um, you know, really up against it and Scarface, um, Scarface, man, uh, yeah. we, we, we knew that he was suffering from it, but, but recently it just came out that he had kidney failure as, you know, both his kidneys have failed at this point. He's doing dialysis four times a week. Uh, you know, um, he, it sounded like he said that he, he beat the odds. The doctors can't even understand yeah. how he made it. So it's, it's crazy, man. It's really insane. Yeah. Because I think he's had, um, you know, hospitalizations before that have kind of made the media, um, the Joe Budden podcast pointed out that Fred had had a history um, of, you know, medical bouts and things like that. And from what we know of this, yeah. And to see the update on Scarface two weeks later and know that right now, this moment, it's very serious. It's just very alarming, especially after what happened last Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. But rest in peace to Fred the Godson, uh, you know, thoughts and condolences and prayers to his family and friends and fans, you know, and, uh, you know, hope everyone else stays healthy out there and stays vigilant. You know? Yeah. And I'm keeping my eye on, on Scarface, Limb Thug, uh, Jazzy Jeff also announced that he had recovered. Yeah. Um, and, and Rodney C from the Funky Four plus one more, like at all different corners of hip hop, this is hitting right now. Yeah. Well, I mean there are still things that are coming that are positive people making positives of the situation. You know, these beat battles just continue to get better and better. Um, you know, Teddy Riley versus Babyface, like that, that's my era. Um, you know, I would love to see Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis versus Babyface in LA. You know, I think that would just be like the, the king of all battles from that era. Yeah. But this Teddy Riley and Babyface joint, man, like it was, first of all, they had some missteps and, um, People were clowning on the first, the first yeah. time. Mo- mostly Teddy for like doing too much. He had background dancers and his hype man and like, you know, keyboards and everything. Uh, and then the sound wasn't right. But when they got it together two days later, they had at, I think the height was like 415,000 uh, real-time users. Uh, I saw a stat. They did 4 million uh, uniques or uh, users over the course of like an hour and a half or, or two oh, hours. Oh, wow. Insane. Did you, did yeah. you catch any of it? Like, Yeah, uh, I did. And, and you know, I want to – I didn't watch it, but I've heard a number of people say that through Teddy's website, the sound was perfect on Saturday night. Yeah. Um, and I give, you know, TR a world of credit for trying to take some of that traffic. You know, I see that, like, Questlove goes on every different platform. But – yeah, to run your own website and try um, and apparently have that good sound, that's cool. But for IG, which is where everyone else was, um, I turned that one off after about 15 minutes of struggle. Yeah. What, no, the second so, one. So the second one was, the second yeah. one was right. It was yeah. right. Even though, even the, you know, it still ended kind of crazy, but yeah. it was still right. So you were like, I don't know, how old were we, like 10 or so in the 80s? I'm I'm born in early '84, so oh, damn. So I mean, like you were yeah. like, do you remember real time any of their songs back then, like Bobby Brown, like "Don't Be Cruel" and "My Prerogative"? Yeah, like that's that. about my earliest memory of of radio was like late '87, '88, and I definitely like that Bobby Brown album from '88 is one that um, really like is a lifelong resonation for me. Um, mm-hmm. How far back Babyface goes with me? 
Uh, that's I know like Babyface's like solo stuff from the early '90s, and obviously you know Tony Braxton, Janet, you know that stuff. Well, he was on that Bobby Brown album too. You know, he yeah, did Don't Be Cruel and, right. and uh, Every Little Step and uh, Roni and, and yeah. Teddy did My Prerogative. You know, so um, so why do you think this spoke to so many people? First of all, it's just fun music to listen to. I mean, it's kind of like the D Nice House Party, but and then there's a competitive level to it. And what I, I don't know, but you do, because I don't have the context, is that there is a very um, competitive rivalry there. And that, from what I understand, this might be a tighter matchup than any that we've seen in these Instagram battles. I don't know. Well, I think Face got him, got him pretty good. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, they both got, like, crazy hits. You know, for me, I think in some ways it's like a new Motown. Mm-hmm. You know, like, um, it's definitely the music of my high school. Uh, I remember my first year in college, I went to the Boston Garden and I saw a new edition and Bobby Brown performing, headlining. And wow. the controversy is that it started, the tour started with new edition headlining. And by the time it ended, Bobby was headlining because his, his album was just so red hot. But to see those dudes in Boston where they grew up in the, in the garden was mm-hmm. crazy. But, you know, Babyface and, and uh, L.A. and Babyface and, and Teddy ran the charts at that point. You know, it's almost like what the Neptunes were doing in the 2000s, you know, and, and Jamie Lewis. Um, so I think that there's my generation. There's, you know, our kids who had to suffer through hearing the stuff in the car when we're driving and stuff like that, you know, when they don't have their iPads on. Yeah. And then you guys are kind of the bridge generation. Uh, I guess your your mom was young enough to still be listening to it, yeah. Um, even when you were growing up. So yeah, man, it's multi generational. But uh, I was shocked to see that that many people tuned in. I saw more people on my timeline, which isn't an industry timeline on socials. More people were talking about that, which is my generation largely, than they were Primo versus RZA. Yeah, um, it was like a Super Bowl. Like I mean, it was a family event. For context, it was getting four million is the kind of numbers that like award shows get at this mm-hmm. point. Like yeah. I mean, that's just unreal. And you would have thought that interest would have waned after what happened Saturday night. And I know it definitely benefited a bit from those jokes and, and punchlines, but honestly, I didn't know that the battle was rescheduled till Monday night until it happened. And mm-hmm. then I'm, you know, seeing it and then I tuned in, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So. I was nuts. You know, was there so let me ask you one question, and this applies to all the battles that we've seen. Obviously, you know, um working the crowd like a DJ and when you drop your records is fine, but take apart the music and the song itself and the song selection. How much do you think attitude and finesse can sell you on the winner of each round? Well, that's a good question, man. That's a really good question. Well, first of all, I think that uh, a lot of it is programming because um, it was much closer on Monday to me than it was on Saturday. And on Saturday, Babyface was just destroying him because, like, he, he like, came in with a game plan and, yeah. like, he didn't try and, like, go too hard. He just came in with a deal. Like, just, like, he was hitting me with just, like, classics you know what i mean yeah and he was smooth and he did have on the masterpiece theater smoker jacket like if you really <laughs> want to come with it like he was like yeah. but he was also laid back and being complimentary but talking greasy at the same time you know like yeah. it was really he was a master at it like his showmanship was like impeccable you know and he kept that up on on monday too so i do think that that had a part of it 
Right. Uh, but I think that the sequencing is probably the most important thing. I also think it's really important, and this is why it was actually good that they flipped it, like who goes second. Right. I think who goes second, like, has a distinct advantage, you know, so. Um, yeah, for sure. Because the first, the person to go first is going to set the tone for the night, especially if you're thinking of what your best records are and you're reshuffling everything. Yeah. Know? So now there's rumors that the next one that Swizz and Tim are trying to get is Dre versus Puff. I saw that. Yeah. And uh, what Teddy and Dre were communicating during one of the battles too, right? Oh, were they? I didn't know. I, I, didn't know I, I believe. I believe so. And Dre, you know, said that like, oh, I don't know, man. We'll see. You know. Um, okay. So now, what, what's your okay? What's your take on that? Like, who 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 gets that? And first of all, well, wait. First, yeah. let me ask this. Like, okay, we both know that Puff for sure didn't produce everything, right? He was more like kind of like the the conductor of his, mm-hmm. you know, stable of producers to hit him. There's a lot of chatter over the years that Dre didn't produce everything that he claims. You know, Warren G, Scott Storch, uh, Mailman, like, Daz, you know, yeah. Daz, a lot of people um, like in that, that gumbo. Uh, so, but putting that aside, if they both play records that they were associated with, right? Yeah. You, know, you know, it doesn't matter who's credit, but, the, but that they were kind of behind. Who gets that? I think Dre gets it. Um, I think certainly a case could be made for Puff, but I think that Dre, just because he has, you know, almost 40 years, um, he has all of these different movements. I think, I think he takes it, you know, and it's going to be a a wider catalog. It's going to be more interesting. Dre has R and B records that'll, um, but yeah, but I, at the same time too, Puff has at least four or five records that are just unbeatable that, you know, he's going to take some rounds too. I think regardless, you know, all about the Benjamins, which was him and D dot, um, you know, think about that. That's, that's nuts or even juicy, you know? So I love Dr. Dre. He's my favorite produce hip hop producer of all time. Okay. For sure. I've said that, you know, a number of times now. Yeah. But I think Puff takes this. Puff has, let me put it to, to you this way. You are much more likely to hear uh, a medley of bad boy songs at a wedding, at a barbecue, you know, at a, at a graduation party. Yeah. Like, um, like he is truly the Motown of, of that, that, that 90s era, you know? Like, so if, if LA and Face are that of like the 80s, Puff is that of the 90s. Mm-hmm. You know? um, very slick, you know, like, the Dre stuff is like sonically incredible, but also very, very rugged. And it's, it, you know, not necessarily made for mixed company, even though you yeah. can play G thing and stuff like that. But, but you know what I mean? Like the, the bad right. boys, like the, uh, the May stuff and uh, more money, more problems. And, yeah. You know, You're more likely to play that than OB Trice, you know, or. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's. Man, that's interesting. I mean, like I said, and, and again, I'm just putting myself in, in that seat. And I, Dre has created these grooves that are iconic. And yes, they're sampled, but they're sampled in a different way than kind of what Puff was doing with those, you know, kind of tweaking up records. I don't know. I still got to go Dre on that. And, and maybe it's because, you know, like you, Dre was one of my hip hop heroes and, and still is. Um, not to say Puff isn't, but I don't know. 
I don't know. But it's an interesting matchup for the reasons you said, that there's a lot of other people that should be in that room if the battle happens on both sides. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's, it's a lot like – the parallels are a lot like uh, facing um, Teddy Riley in that there is Sheen versus, like, you know, kind of like the, the more uh, rugged, you know. Yeah. Teddy was that rugged, like, kind of more street sound. Did you expect Teddy to win? Dollars. No, I expected I expected uh, Babyface to win. As know? close as it was, and I, I think you said that you also thought it was close. Yeah, the second one was closer, but but it wasn't it wasn't a question for me. Interesting. You know, uh, if it was boxing, I think it would have been unanimous decision, but like the, every car would have been fairly close. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the other one that people are talking about, and I don't think Swiss and this, this just came up on social media. Yeah. Is uh, Erica Badu versus Lauren Hill? Yeah. Now, who do you, who you think gets that one? Because it's not – I mean, are they DJing or are they performing? Uh, they're playing their songs. Oh, like a playlist battle. Yeah. Okay, like we've seen. Ooh. Yeah. I was going to say, if they're performing, like Erica, hands down right now. And that's not to throw shade at Lauren. I've, I've seen Lauren perform in the last 10 years. Um, playlist? I think Erica said it herself. She thought Lauren would have her. I, I tend to go that. Man, Erica's being modest and, and deferring to one of her. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, Erica would destroy Lauren Hill. And you know, you know how I feel about Lauren. Like, I love yeah. Lauren. I'm, uh, no shade to AZ, but like, I was mad when Lauren lost in our GOAT battle yeah. in round one. Like, I didn't know how that was possible. Uh, I think she is one of, if not the most gifted uh, woman MC ever, you know. Um, but yo man her catalog is not nearly big enough she's got basically two albums um and one is a group album you know two albums but then you can come in with remixes and features that include her and i know her hip-hop collaborations are like five you know um outside of the food i mean love jones but what i mean there's not really that much like she's got maybe let's let's call it 15 songs total Erica has, you know, what, seven, like six, seven albums of material. But maybe um, all you need is that 15. I mean, really, if you're underestimating it and Lauren has. And, and are you going, my opinion, I mean, are we doing like the Dre and Puff rules or what, what history says, you know? I'm, I'm doing what the people say. I, I, I think the people are going to say on and on and like, um, love of my life and back in the day and you know um all the stuff clever and i mean like orange moon like, i mean just like there are just so many joints that erica has window seat i mean she can just go in for albums and albums the healer i mean she just she got joints man she's got she joints. doesn't have the benefit of i mean when, and i know you say the people but i'm imagining again you know um Lauren has always leaned much more, has always gotten some of the mainstream flowers that Erica hasn't since the very beginning of her career. I just think, I think it's catalog. I really do. Like, so like, listen, if they had the same number of albums, I think it would be incredibly close. Uh, But it's like Jay versus Big. Yeah. Yeah. I know people are going to get mad and everything, but like Biggie does not have remotely the catalog that Jay-Z does. He he had a limited catalog. It just is what it is. But you you take Jay's hits. Yeah. But if the battles kept it, 15 or 20 songs i hear you i hear you um rizza doesn't have the production catalog as primo and if you looked in the comments of our last you know uh you know conversation there's a lot of people that really disagree with you and i 
Yeah, a lot of woo people. I know we built a big <laughs> woo base. <laughs> yeah. I'm not mad at it. I'm not yeah. mad at all. Uh, but I'm just saying, like Primo got the bigger catalog, you know. Uh, I I listen to more Erica Badu music than Lauren Hill at this point in my life. I mean, just more more often, and I still think Lauren has that one. Yeah, well, I hope I hope that one comes to fruition. Yeah. We can uh, we can we can we can uh, debate that after it happens. Uh, speaking of debate, like I yeah. want to jump to this man. So we, okay. we started to get into this in the document, and I could tell it was going to get testy. <laughs> <laughs> and I would much oh. prefer to do this in front of people. Like, oh wow! Uh, <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, um, well, you set up you set up the story. Okay. So Reggie and I share a document, and and we have for years. Amanda Mester was a huge part of that document too. It's just kind of it applied to what was going on in the culture and how AFH as a voice was going to you know attack it, so to speak, how we were going to cover. So that document lives on to this day as it applies to music and this podcast and whatever else. So this week, uh, Vlad TV ran an interview with Mac 10 and Mac 10 broke down why West side connection is no more. And I thought this was an important story. So Mac essentially says, um, he got into an argument with ice cubes, brother-in-law. So ice cubes, wife's brother, they get into a physical altercation. And from that moment on ice cube, Mac 10 and dub C are no more. So this is like somewhere in the mid 2000s. First of all, I'm a fan of, of these three artists and a fan of the group. I thought this matters. Like this is, this is like why Pete Rock and CL Smooth don't speak. Like I genuinely care. And Reggie was like, you were real terse about it too. What did you write? <laughs> not interested. This is not interesting to me. <laughs> Straight up. So at that point later in this day, Ice Cube who is not one of these artists that's all day long on Twitter, tweets back somebody that sends him the video and says, uh, never happened, fake news or something. Mm-hmm. I said, this is interesting to me because Ice Cube and Mac 10 never address each other. Like for years, Mac was like, yo, we, you know, it's fine. We just don't, the group doesn't exist anymore. I want to know the real reasons, especially if this isn't the one. Um, and then I said, if this develops, this is much more important than Slaughterhouse which I feel like AFH covered, we exhausted the coverage of the fallout of Slaughterhouse and we had known all along what it caused it to begin with. Do I have that right? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a great setup. Um, I'll tell you why I was opposed to it. And this, this, this will give people insight into kind of how um, our debates happen in the document and decision-making yeah. around what we did things. I think you and I would agree just on a high level, that we did not engage in gossip. Like, gossip was not the thing that we were seeking to do. Like, you know, who's cheating on who? Like, yeah. who's like, you know, um, you know, with who's a rope girl, stuff like that. that. That's not what we were doing. Right. We would, however, report on events that occurred that were personal, that affected something, or that were, like... So, uh, we didn't cover... Stories. We didn't cover the lyric of Becky with the good hair, but we did cover the elevator. Exactly. Exactly. That was actually an event and it like, you know, it, it shook things up. And yeah. we would cover beefs and stuff like that, but it wasn't about like, th- this kind of fell into gossip for me because it wasn't about Cube. It was about his brother-in-law and it was just coming from Mac 10. It wasn't something they were debating, you know, um, and it just, it, it felt like more gossip to me than any, and it was also 20 something years ago. 
right? Like, um, not mm-hmm. if it had been, it would have been different for me if he had said that um, he and Cube got into it one day in the studio and they just didn't tell me, right? Like yeah. then it, it would have felt different to me. And maybe that's arbitrary. But the bigger thing for me though was, uh, and this is where you and I started uh, to really diverge and I thought it could get contentious, yeah. was that um, I never saw the breakup of... Um, Westside Connection was not a big deal to me because they were never meant to be a group that stayed together. They were three individuals who came together uh, for a project or two, but their main function and main, um, you know, expression as artists was not going to be through Westside Connection. They were just a super group and these were a couple one-offs. And so it was cool to get them. But the idea of them breaking up was kind of a fiction um, you know, whereas Slaughterhouse, you, you then threw in Slaughterhouse, but to me, Slaughterhouse was different because at the time that Slaughterhouse came together, all four of those guys' careers were uh, starting to stall a little bit. And they came together and they formed a group that had such success that I believe it became bigger than each one of, the, of them were solo at the time. And I believe that they were um, going, they were being positioned as staying together as a group, you know, kind of indefinitely. You saw that with the Shady 2.0 stuff. Yeah. You saw um, them releasing multiple mixtapes together and albums. And so the notion of them coming together with the intention of being a group, not just like a one-off type thing, and then uh, breaking up, I thought was a bigger deal. Yeah, it's a fair point. I mean, I look at Westside Connection differently. I, I think that they were supposed to be like the Ghetto Boys. Um, you know, that first album went platinum. I think it may have deb- debuted at number one. I mean, it was very high on the charts. It wasn't just a, a gangster rap sleeper. And yeah, I mean, I think Westside Connection is, as much as I love songs by Dub C, I think that album was bigger than anything that he had done over the you know, almost previous decade with low profile in the mad circle. I love Mac 10's first album, but I still think West side connection as a group was a far bigger look for him because he was an incubator artist and ice cube system. I think that group matters. And I think that, you know, um, Tupac allegedly, you know, beats down an engineer and Dr. Dre leaves death row. There's a lot of people that say those, those incidents are related. I want, I care about if there was an altercation, even if it was peripheral people, if it affected the fact that to this day, Dub C is Ice Cube's hype man and they tour together and Mac 10 is out here in the woods. Like that to me is interesting. And I've always wanted to know why, especially if it was something, um, yeah, really serious, you know? You know, if it was like uh, EPMD or Tribe or, you know, uh, Mob Deep or any group that was like a real, that, that was designated to be a group and that's yeah. what broke them up, I would agree with you. I'd be, I'd be in. But, you know, again, for me, it's like, uh, you know, it's like Mostef and, and Talib Ali, right? Yeah. Like they were never meant to be a group. They came together, they, they did a project and that was it. Um, but know, for 20 years, people wondered Talib. why they wouldn't do another one. Right, do another one, but they also didn't question um, the fact that they were they were primarily solo artists. But right. I'll use another example because uh, which is Red and Meth, right? People see them as a collective, but by no means do people see them as just being a group. They both have very established solo careers and are known for being individuals as much, if not more so, than a collective. Let me put it to you this way: Death Squad. 
if if Def Squad, if Red and Eric Sermon after nineteen after a few years of Def Squad go off and they're still performing together, but they never work with Keith Murray again, um, don't you want to know why? Doesn't that question linger? Yeah, but 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 they like uh, they were a crew. Um, they actually like splintered off and formed a collective that was meant to be together, just like Native Tongues. People wonder why Native Tongues were born together. I think that's no different than West Side Connection, though. I mean, those guys were on Mac's first album, Cuban Mac, you know, looked out for each other in all these different ways in the mid-90s. To me, that was a crew. And this is the other Mac point signed, that I... Cube signed Mac, right? I think so. I mean, it was yeah. through priority, but I think yeah. that he was kind of the stakeholder. Yeah. Uh, but I, I mean, I, it, it's interesting to me why Cube and Mac Ten would not have like what, why they would have a falling out because right. they were you know homies and like you know business partners and stuff like that. Yeah. But the added uh, ingredient of West Side Connection breaking up is not because they were never meant to be together forever. That that's all. Yeah, and, and one other thing I'll say, and, and I do disagree with you on that. I think that, you know, there was a second album and they were appearing together in movies and always sitting together at award shows, touring. But um, I just don't feel like that era of West Coast gangster rap, especially, has any place to live online. And I know when at AFH and previously when I was at Hip Hop DX and all hip hop, there's, there's people out there that really feel strongly about it and have nowhere to go. And that's why it was always important to me at AFH if the music was was great you know an mc8 and alchemist working together that's that's huge news um you know we covered mac 10 a lot and those stories did really well people are hungry for it they care and sometimes with even more contemporary stuff like slaughterhouse i didn't always see the interest there especially after but so long yeah well i mean you know we we covered it now uh you know so you got your wish but like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, do you do you think the story is true? Like you said, Cube said fake news. So now, what do you believe? I want to I want to hear more. You know, I want to hear what it was, and then leave it alone. I mean, obviously, all three guys have better things to talk about. But I just I've always wanted to know what was the moment that these two guys that were always inseparable for like at least five years what went wrong? So I don't know. I was always thinking it must have been something at home, you know, like real, like, I don't know, you know, but, uh, or, or money. It's usually, it's usually money. I mean, yeah. when it all comes down to it, you know, um, yeah, before we move on to, uh, another thing, I want to go back to the, 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 the COVID culture, because another thing that came out is the Travis Scott Fortnite concert. He did a 10 minute virtual concert in Fortnite. They had a gigantic Travis Scott, like, uh, you know, um, you know, jumping around the universe and everything. And 10 million simultaneous users tuned in. So that means that probably over the course of that 10 minutes, there were, I don't know, um, 15, 20 million viewers at some yeah. point. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when you combine that with like YouTube views and like, um, and, and people looking at replays on Fortnite itself, Probably 25, 30 million people saw it. Now, for context, dude, that's like the Grammys. That's bigger than the Oscars. That's like um, bigger than like Game of Thrones, the season series finale. Yeah. Like, it's absurd 
how many people that is. So yeah. did you see it? I didn't. I didn't. I've never, I've never played Fortnite, um, but I knew that it was happening. And I was like, this is insane. You know, did you, did you tune in live? Yeah. Yeah. I don't watch the live, but the, you know, you can watch it on YouTube now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's a, a, a YouTube 10 minute video. It's incredible. Um, and it's really well done. But what do you think it is that, that, that drew people in to see Travis Scott? Do you think he's that big, that transcendent as a superstar? I think that it, it, if I understand it correctly too, it, it, um, there's a level of, let me see if, if my gaming system can do this too. Right. Like, so a, it's, it's one of the top artists in the world and B it's this new thing that combines two interests. So it's almost like it, it becomes a, a, if you weren't there, where were you? Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's that, the, the virtual aspect, you know, people yeah. want to be included and, uh, but it was bigger than like star Wars. There was a star Wars thing they did uh, recently. It was bigger oh, really? than that. Like, yeah. I mean, like, it was transcendent, you know. Travis is, is you know, probably the closest thing to Drake in the last year in terms of, you know, hip-hop superstar at that level, right? Like, in terms of that reach. Um, and I don't – he keeps a low profile about it and just keeps doing cool things like this. Yeah. Um, he put out a new song with Kid Cudi, too, uh, The Scots, on Friday. Did you hear that? I have not. Is it good? It's cool. I, I tend to believe that – the Travis Scott I like most is just his own vision. And he's got a few of these side projects. Um, and I like when he collaborates on his albums, but that to me is still like what I look most forward to, but it was cool. I, I've listened. I think I listened twice and I'll check it out more through the week. Okay. And one last thing on the beat battle. So um, French Montana uh, made a statement um, saying that he could, you know, go song for song with Kendrick Lamar in a beat battle. What you, What are your thoughts on that? I mean that I don't see that as possible um, at all. Like, but again, if you were to ask a 25 year old that lives in Queens, they might disagree, you know, with me, but for me, I, um, I actually don't think I could name more than five French Montana songs. And that's not to diss. That's just not been an artist that I've sought out. And Kendrick Lamar to me is probably the most, the artist whose lyrics I've memorized the most over the last decade. So I'm going to go left on you. Uh, oh, wow. well, I'm not, actually not. like So this is where I think that it's really important to set up the criteria ahead of time, right? If, if the criteria is, um, you know, bangers, like who's going to turn out the club? Yeah. You know, French got joints, man. French has big, big, big records. And part of the reason why you, you, you might not, you know, no, but like unforgettable and stuff like that. Like, uh, like, um, it's because you don't even necessarily associate it with French Montana, but if you hear it, you know that it's a gigantic song. But they're never solo records, right? Right. Exactly. They're they're often collaborations, you know, he joins other people, um, you know, pop that and stuff like that. You know, um, he got big records. Um, Kendrick is not that dude. He got a couple of club bangers, but like, He's not a club dude. Like he's a more of a headphones, like you know, sit down and listen and meditate to it. And yes, in terms of artistry and you know, substance and you know, lyrical ability and stuff like that, Kendrick is like you know, uh, almost peerless. But you yeah. know, if, so that's why you got to really establish the criteria. Well, and it's all who shows up too, right? Like, and and we struggle with this when we were doing Goat. Like, 
you know, we didn't broadcast those competitions to artists because if one artist shares something and the other artist doesn't, it skews the vote. If, 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 if both of those artists push it to their social following, again, I think Kendrick wins just because Kendrick has, has a much further reach as a brand and does things so uh, scarcely on the internet. Like if he wanted you to be there, it changes everything. Like, um, but I just put myself in those seats, Kendrick, you know, it sounds to me like you're putting yourself maybe a little bit more in what you anticipate the room to be. Yeah. You know, cause I actually saw it firsthand. I was at Power 105, um, their, um, their big annual concert at Barclays yeah. a few years ago. This is like right around when Two Pimp the Butterfly dropped. Um, and they had Fetty Wap, um, uh, it was a bunch of dudes who had a bunch of radio hits at that point, uh, yeah. and, and Kendrick. Yeah. And I just watched and the crowd just wasn't reacting to Kendrick in the same way. Cause it was a very, um, distinct kind of hit driven crowd, you know, Power yeah. 105, like, you know, and Kendrick wasn't getting that much run on Power 105 at the time. He was a huge artist, but not getting a lot of radio play. So I think it really depends on like who the audience is, you know, and what's it's tricky. Criteria. Yeah, and, and, you know, I mean, Kendrick's got a few hit features on other people's records, but, uh, you know, again, do you look at it as just French's part? Because if it's that, you know, somebody said that, you know, when Scott Storch put Still Dre in the Manny Fresh battle, take away everything that he didn't do on the song. It, it changes things. And for French, this is, these are two rappers going at it. Is he only entitled to his own part of the record? Because that, again, you might, like, <laughs> I'm going with Kendrick. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, Kendrick will want to play problems, and you know, um, he want to. There's some joints he want to pull out too. Like he want to play control, yeah. you know. Uh, Definitely problems. Yeah. 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 So speaking of uh, Kendrick, this week TDE did TDE Appreciation Week, dropped new records from Absol, uh, Isaiah Rashad, Sir, and Reason. Mm-hmm. Um. What were your thoughts on that? First of all, just even on the move itself. I love it. You know, I mean, artists have, uh, you know, you think back to Good Fridays, artists have made series fun and they've really built anticipation around it. But, you know, quarantine for sure. But I've noticed that, you know, you you mentioned Guns Project, which is great. Um, There hasn't been a ton of like amazing music coming out. And so to, to kind of have a big Ab Soul record that's as good as an Ab Soul record as I've heard in, you know, at least three years, maybe closer to five years. That's exciting. And that's fun. And that is cool for fans. Yeah. Solo killed that record. I mean, he, he destroyed it. I thought, I thought that was amazing. That made me really excited to hear new stuff from him. Cause yeah. You're yeah. Right. The, the beat was perfect and he, he went in on it. You know? The beat changes. Um, yeah. And, and that's, that's the thing is, you know, early in his career, Ab just picked such phenomenal beats and this one, oh man, like, I uh, I looked up the producer um, and I was like, oh man, I hope this guy is going to become one of those TD in-house fixtures. Oh yeah, that was that was good. Do you remember the name? It's a, it's like a government name too. Um, I'll, I'll look it up. Yeah. Okay. Um, so by the way, you know anybody watching, you can listen to any of these songs on our Ambrosia Redheads playlist on Spotify. We have a, a playlist we keep updated, and all those songs except for the Sir one are on it. Uh, for me, like. So, you know, hands down was like the, the one that I, I gravitated toward the most. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason was clever and he did some really provocative things lyrically. 
Um, and Isaiah Rashad, it was cool. It's just cool to hear something from him. You know, he's yeah. been so um, kind of like uh, reclusive over the last few years. Um, you know, it, it's good to hear some product. Now, were you disappointed um, that that Kendrick and, and J-Rock and, and Schoolboy Q didn't drop something? No, I mean, I, I want TDE to, uh, you know, really showcase kind of these artists and for Isaiah and, and Ab, um, like you said, you know, they've kind of kept us waiting. That being said, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe this goes another week or um, we get another batch of this at some point, and that's when, you know, TDE, Dreamville, Griselda, these movements are really making being a fan fun. Um, and, yeah, I mean, TDE's done that historically. Like, when they troll a signing, they did that with Isaiah Rashad back in the day, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'm really excited about this. And I really did like that Sir record, and it's good to see TDE working with Boogie because that was a dope uh, Boogie verse. Yeah, that, I got, that's the only one I haven't heard yet. I want to check that out. Um, so I got to, um, I got to, do you think Kendrick has got something in the top? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I don't know if we'll see it right now. Um, certainly a single, but I think Kendrick is, I feel like the way I imagine Kendrick, which is different than any other artist, and, and you've spent time with him, I, I have not. Um, I feel like he always has an album ready. And that album, sort of like a stand-up comedian's act, it just evolves further as you go. And then at some point, he's like, nah, I got to put this out. Mm-hmm. So we talked about collectives earlier. Um, I want to know from you, which of these collectives you think is the strongest? And I'm going to try and be methodical about it. Dreamville. Black Hippie. MMG at his prime, Young Money in his prime, Slaughterhouse. Um, I'm going to stop there. No West Side Connection, though. Nah, different era. <laughs> um, and and you, said, you said, I'm kidding, you said Black Hippie in his prime? Yeah. No, no. Um, you said M- Black M- MMG in his prime. Black Hippie, MMG Black Black Hippie. Black Hippie today, Dreamville today. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, their whole, uh, you know, their whole like, uh, but MMG is is changed, shifted. So I mean, when they were at full strength, man, that full strength MMG, you know, again, like to your thing, like put it in a room. I think, I, I think that that wins. Um, for me, personal taste, I'm going Black Hippie. Yeah, I'm going to go Black Hippie, too. Although, i got to say, J. Cole has assembled a squad of just killers. Yeah. Real killers. Yeah, Earth Gang's been in heavy rotation for me, you know, um, for several years now. But if for everyone that loved Mirrorland, if you go back and listen to their EPs and, and work ahead of that, it is just as polished as, as it ever was with signing by, you know, signing the Dreamville. Yeah, yeah. Now, so you talked about West Side Gun. That album, man, I've been, like, um, just... It's been on heavy rotation for me the last few days. Uh, what are your thoughts about the album? I like it. I can't yet decide if I like it more than Supreme Blantel, Um, but I definitely think it is at the top of Gun's solo catalog. Um, I really think that he's proving himself to be one of the best year for beats. And what's dope about Westside Gun doing that is, you know, his network is smaller. Like he's finding the new voices in the underground and at the same time working with mugs, working with premier alchemist. Um, 
yeah, I, I, I was really impressed. It, I appreciated it more with each listen. Yeah, I love it. Uh, and, and you hit on it. I think his beat selection has just gone to a whole different level. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that um, I, I love 327 with Tyler and Joey Badass. Uh, that joint is just so soulful and laid back, and it's a different look for him. Yeah. You know, I love um, 500 Ounces with Freddie Gibbs, Gibbs and Rock. And, and Rock. And I love that he brought Rock onto it, you know, and he's yeah. very, very vocal about Rock, kind of like, you know, being their their fly guy, you know, when they were coming kind of coming into it. Um, Party with Pop Smoke. Uh, there's a lot of really, really soulful joints on this that are a different lane than what yeah. he's done, but it still feels very consistent with who he is, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, on paper, I didn't expect a Wale West Side Gun collaboration to sound especially pleasing to the ear. Um, I really like that record, too. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I'm, I'm impressed. And, and one thing, I mean, I am astounded, like MF Doom has this run in, you know, 2002, three and four, where he just put out so much music. And at the time, I remember thinking like, you know, you're, you're flooding the market and, and taking away the, the props that you deserve um, by being so prolific. But what Griselda has accomplished just in the last two or three years of putting out these things, I mean, West Side Guns released three albums, um, maybe more in the last year. And, you know, at the same time, he's probably made his best project to date. Which is insane, right? I mean, just yeah. the, the, the volume of music that he puts out and to, to be able to go to a different level at this stage and to do it at a time where he's, you know, really uh, feeling yeah. like he's on his deathbed too, which is, is insane. You know, I watched that interview um, and he talked about how he was really inspired by being in Paris um, during fashion week and being around Virgil Abloh and people like that. He said he hung out with Pop Smoke actually too, um, yeah. you know, shortly before he passed. And uh, yeah, I mean, the guy is, he's brilliant. Like, um, I know when we sat down with him and did that interview, which people can check out too on our channel, um, it was really uh, cool to see how methodical and strategic he has been yeah. in building this. You know, it's not its not an accident, it's by design. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm just very impressed by what they've done. I love, I love, and they're all three, I was listening to it today, part of I think what makes Griselda work so well is they all three have different frequencies, you know, gun is the high end, um, um, Benny's the low end and, and like Con- Conway is like mid range. And you mean the vocal frequencies? The vocal yeah. frequency, yeah. just sonically, like it, they just fit together really well. They bounce off each other really well, you know, and um, I'll tell you two things. So one, just talking about the movement, and we talked about this with gun, um, is that I was at A3C. Uh, it was, uh, 2017 and I saw them and it was like in a bar and there's maybe like 20 or 30 dudes in there. Yeah. You know, it was just like real rough and tumble and like, um, hardcore Griselda. Like it felt like, you know, being in Buffalo or something like that. Checking yeah. out a local show. A year later, um, they're performing during the day on the main stage and, and it almost seemed like A3C messed up by putting them during the day because, it was packed. I've been yeah. at A3C six, seven times. I've never seen a day stage packed, you know, and just in a year, you could see how different the momentum was for those guys. Right. Like, yeah. so 
uh, it reminded me of almost like, you know, being around Kendrick, because like you said, I was around Kendrick. Uh, like, it felt like, uh, I think I saw Kendrick probably on average like every two weeks for like two years, like, mm-hmm. you know, between 106 and award shows and stuff like that, just was around him quite a bit. But um, it was amazing to me to see the transformation for him from, um, you know, like uh, March of 2012 or so until like, uh, you know, end of 2012. Like, yeah. Um, see that with Griselda. Yeah, uh, I saw that with Griselda, you know. Um, and in terms of frequencies, so I had a conversation once with, it was me, um, a couple co-workers from Stephen Hill, Kelly Griffin from BET, um, and then um, Kanye and um, 2 Chains. Mm-hmm. We're all backstage uh, talking. And we were talking about um, Meek Mill at the time. And Kanye was saying that he loved Meek. We were all talking about how we like Meek. And like Kanye was saying how hip hop just needs that frequency sometimes, you know, that, that high pitched voice, right? Because Meek has got that voice, like MC Shy D. Like you can go back and think, identify yeah. unique, freak, high pitched, easy E. You know, like there, there are a lot of people. And sure. Westside Gun is filling that niche right now is that, that high that high frequency voice he is and he's really doing i mean he's he's doing it for all the forefathers um in in hip-hop like you mentioned rock like planet asia there's like west delivery the beat choice all of that um yeah it's it's really great to see and i've never seen a player coach um you know west you know is kind of the the main shot color as i understand it of griselda but he's also the front artist he put out others so quickly with him. Usually, you know, you look at Dreamville or you look at TDE, it took a few years before others could start, you know, to get there. And I know Benny, you know, um, was jammed up for a bit, but even just starting right away with Conway, um, Griselda has really been a a bootstrap movement, which is great to see. Yeah, yeah, brick by brick. So you mentioned Kanye, Um, your man's a billionaire. Yeah, um, you know, uh, so it says, like, I read that Forbes article kind of in detail, mm-hmm. and it's debatable. First of all, like, it's uh, crazy to me the lengths to which he has gone to uh, show that he's a billionaire, you know, yeah. uh, by disclosing his financial records to, to Forbes. Like, that's insane, and they're saying that there's only been one person as focused on, like, them, uh, you know, crediting yeah. his wealth. And that's Donald Trump, you know. Uh, <laughs> it's like, yeah, that made me laugh too. Yeah, uh, that, that, there's, a, that's, there's a coincidence for you. But, um, you know, in reading the article, it sounds like he gets $140 million a year from Yeezy. Uh, which, and that's a movement in itself. Just the fact that the guy has been able to build yeah. and rise from the ashes, you know, claiming bankruptcy like, you know, five years ago. Although, although I don't know how many people truly believe he was really bankrupt. But, right you know, claiming like severe poverty and having a meltdown on Sway and all that other stuff to netting $140 million a year royalties just from the shoes. Um, You know, so the the math they use is that if you do a multiple and they said like a conservative multiple might be like uh, five times that, um, a high multiple might be 17 to 20 times. So doing like a 10 times multiple of that annual amount of $140 million would put him at about 1.4 billion plus his music assets and stuff like that. And they subtracted like his, 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 um, his liabilities and debts, like um, properties that he owned and stuff like that. So they put him at about 1.3 billion. Um, 
It doesn't matter really. Like if the no. dude is is like you know five hundred million, seven fifty, seven, yeah. whatever it is, like he's made a, a shitload of money, and the fact that he's been able to do that is astounding and a real credit to him. Um, it's also interesting to me though that he's just yet another example of uh, a hip hop artist who has only become insanely wealthy and through branching out doing something else. Right, the music is always a proxy. Yeah. Whether it be Dre and headphones, Puff and Ciroc, Jay and you know um, the Live Nation stuff and um, and Rock Nation management and all the other stuff. Yeah, Latifah and Wilson, yeah. you know, on and on. They all parlay it. You know, it's it's a shame that like uh, the thing that makes them the most relevant can't be the thing that they make the most money from. Right, but I give them all the more credit in still making music you know, still putting things out. Like Snoop Dogg doesn't need to put out albums anymore. He does a TV show with Martha Stewart, but he still, you know, feeds the fan base that propelled him to that height. But that's the thing, though. I think he does have to put out music. I think that Puff does too. I think that Jay, I think that they have to stay close to the culture to stay relevant. It's, it's almost like their marketing arm, you know? Like, I think if you don't do it, then you use that relevancy. You lose that relevancy. But there has to be a point where you don't need it anymore. I mean, in the Latifah and Will Smith case, and obviously Queen Latifah was still making music, but she hasn't made a hip-hop album, um, or she didn't make a hip-hop album for close to a decade. Yeah, but what has Latifah done um, that you recognize in the last five years? True, but I might not be the most qualified person to answer that question. Like You're pretty no. qualified. <laughs> <laughs> So qualified. Yeah, I mean, you know, I hear Puff, you. Puff stays relevant through French Montana and like, you know, um, yeah. you know, Instagram and social media and stuff like that. He's very, very um, in the culture that way and revolt, you know, to some degree, you know, but, um, you know, Jay, I think that's the only reason Jay still puts out albums. You know? Just for legacy. No, not for legacy, to, to stay, to maintain its cultural relevancy so he can parlay that into other things. Yeah, but legacy with Jay is a huge factor in there. It has to be, because that's why he never, um, if he has something that doesn't resonate, he comes right back with something totally different for that reason. And you can say it's marketing. I see it as you always want to be at the top of, you know, the current game. Yeah, I mean, I think his legacy, though, he could walk away now. And it's, it's literally sure. like MJ, like Game 6, Utah, you know, yeah. 1998. Like, it's done, you know. Those, um, those Forbes lists are funny. I did 2006s for Forbes. And, and Zach O'Malley-Greenberg, who's, who's been the editor, I think, just about ever since. And other people have done them before me. But it's a wild process because you, you kind of – some artists will basically, they won't turn over their tax records like Ye did, um, <laughs> but they'll, they'll say yes, no, higher, or lower as you're showing them numbers. Like you play like a negotiation ping pong. And it was funny the year that I did it, some artists wanted nothing to do with it. Like there were artists that were qualified that would tell me, um, no, 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 the numbers so that basically they don't appear in the list. They don't want to be audited. I think that I think that now it's a much different game. Um, and we do, we see like the constant competition between like Puffy and Dre and Jay and for a while 50, you know, you see it in there um, where those guys are always going to be in it. But yeah, Kanye wanted back in that conversation. Um, so part of that has got to is ego. I mean, that's clear, right? Part yeah. of it is competitiveness. So who do you think he's more competitive with 
uh, Kim, Kylie, or Jay Z? Jay. Yeah. Yeah. You, you think he, you think it's important for him to show that he's a billionaire before Jay? I think that you know their relationship is strained. Again, we come into the gossip thing. Like it matters because it changes history. And I know Jay and Kanye are on a different level, but um, it it, it does matter. And I sometimes imagine that to be on the outs with Jay. The only way you can communicate with him is to try to knock him down. So you look at somebody like Game, who's been dissing Jay-Z the entirety of his career, which I think the origin of that was not, Jay not willing to give him a verse. And that's been happening because it's the only way you can get Jay's attention. And I think if Kanye shows that Jay isn't the only billionaire of the moment, um, it's it's going to advance the narrative. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It does. It does. Um, it does. I mean, it's really interesting that the two of them would, would ascend to the top, the throne, and the, really the, the throne, right? Like it's yeah, the throne. Like ascend first. That's that's pretty interesting. I, I don't know though. I mean, I I it's it's almost comical that this comes out now though. Like when I first saw the headline before I ever clicked on the story, I was just like, damn. Like, really, who gives a fuck? Like, right now, when everyone's unemployed and everything else, like, we're, you're going to come out of the woodwork now to be upset about it. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. You know, shout out to him for, like you said, though, uh, turning himself out of debt. From- well, here's the other component, though, and I want to know how much you think this is real. The other thing he talks about is the, the racist issue. Like, um, he's saying that he's not being included because they don't want to give that credit to a black man. And I will say that, like, um, it is inspirational. It means something, you know, mm-hmm. to be able to see black billionaires. You know, um, Oprah. That was that was really incredible and powerful for people. When Robert F. Smith did that donation to Morehouse, that was powerful for people. Yeah. Um, you know, seeing billionaires come out of hip hop culture is powerful, not just for black people, but for hip hop. For sure, people people who are part of the hip hop nation. You know, so. Uh, I'm not mad at, at him trying to claim that too, if that is in part his motivation as well. And for Kanye to flaunt wealth, especially that it's coming from Adidas is important too, because the history there is Nike gave him a very, you know, here you go contract, whereas Adidas worked with him and put him in an ownership role, which is a very important narrative Um you know, across the board, but certainly in black culture right now, I can say that as an outsider. Mm-hmm. So now we've talked about Nike. We've talked about MJ. We've been dancing around. Yeah. A pretty cool documentary, The Last Dance. Have you checked any of it out yet? Yeah. I watched the first two episodes. The The DVR is set for tonight's next two. I, so goes without saying, but I grew up in, in Pittsburgh. I've never been, like, I never had an NBA team. So I was a sports center consumer every day, but I never paid tons of attention to the Bulls. And I love this documentary. Like this might be the best thing I've watched in 2020. Yeah. So when they were going through their run, um, that was like 20, 20, like 23 to 29 years ago. Jeez. So you, you were, um, you were like eight, nine, ten. You you remember it, right? Do you remember that run? Oh, of course. Yeah, and I remember the sneakers, and I remember seeing the jerseys everywhere. And I watched a lot of those games, but I'm not a fan like you are. 
you know, and you I weren't mean, old enough to know that behind the scenes and stuff, I'd be following like what's going on with Jerry Price, Krause, and Jerry Reinsdorf, and stuff like that. That wasn't like I knew both of those names through Sports Center, but for instance, yeah. I was never aware that Scottie Pippen was so underpaid and had that contract until episode two. Like for me, I like this as a human interest story as much as you know, sports nostalgia. Man, it is Scotty dirty for that dude to make. <laughs> $18 million in six years. And, you know, Mike made 30, 35 million in one year, his last, one of his last couple of years. Yeah. Like, and Pippen was number two player in the league, probably, or not number three to Hakeem. Like, yeah. I mean, they did him dirty. Yeah, and Jerry's know. saying in the documentary that he encouraged him not to take that deal. Yeah, no, that's like easy, that. like encouraging, <laughs> like, Dre not to, yeah. like, you know. You know, I think about that too. Like, you know, people like have such short-sightedness. You know, uh, if this dude had just paid Scottie Pippen more, if he had not been egotistical about Phil Jackson, they could have eked out one, maybe two more championships. Like, you know, and maybe Jordan stays like, you know, in 93 and they, they go on a, a run like the Celtics where they get 10 yeah. in a row or something like that. I mean, they could have been... They're already historic, but they could have just been like you know in the record books. And I think I about definitely Easy too. You know, if Easy E yeah. had just paid Dre and been a partner to him, think about how different, how much more money he would have made in the long run. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And he still did get his residuals from the Chronic, at least in maybe two thousand and one. But uh, yeah, just to me, those first two episodes to know that Jerry Krause refused to go beyond one more year with the renegotiation with Phil Jackson is just mind blowing to me over ego. Like Jay says, well, I lose everything over ego. Yeah. Um, and man, yeah. To know what happened to basketball and all of that. It's just, um, it's crazy. But I, I'm so astounded that there were all, there was all of this unseen footage, you know, to see Jordan in the locker room, making fun of Jerry Krause, to see all of this cameras were always running. And that's just, um, it's such a joy to see 20 plus year old footage that you never knew existed. Yeah. I read about that. The way it went down was, um, you know, a, a guy from, uh, was it ESPN? Yeah. A guy from ESPN came to, um, the Bulls organization, you know, he, you know, seen the news, it was probably going to be their last year together and proposed that they do it. And he got buy-in from management and, you know, Phil Jackson and like other team members. And last was Jordan. And the only way he could get buy-in was to say that Jordan would have final creative control, like approval over whether or not it came out. And so, you know, uh, they did it and gave him unprecedented access and everyone was candid and the whole nine. Um, and then it sat 10 years, 15 years, and so forth. They would go and talk to Michael every five years or so, and he was not down to do it. Yeah. Uh, but in, I think it was June of 2016, they approached him one more time, and he was ready to do it. And it coincided with uh, the day that the, the, um, the Cleveland Cavaliers won the championship, and mm-hmm. it was there was chatter of is LeBron better than Jordan. And also the, the golden state warriors had just been on the cusp of, you know, done the 73 and nine season. Yeah. And on the cusp of being called the greatest team ever had they won. And so there were two things that like showed like, you know, chinks in his, like um, his legacy, his immortality as the, the goat. 
And so I think the, the stars aligned and his competitive juice clicked in and said, okay, it's time to remind people who we are. Classic competitor. Yeah. Uh, and how about the music too? Uh, what? Uh, I'm bad. LL Cool J. And, oh man, they're uh, killing it. Yeah. And I ain't no joke. Um, yeah. Just, just awesome. I mean, I love ESPN has been like since 30 for 30 started. Um, and I, you know, I've always loved their documentaries since like, you know, outside the lines and that stuff. Um, just so I can't wait till tonight. I wish I wish they if they had dropped them all at once, I would not have gone to bed uh, Sunday night. But in some ways, I'm almost happy because it gives us something to look forward to, right? Like yeah. I mean, yeah. shout out to them for dropping it early because it's supposed yeah. to happen in June, and they really needed it. Um, but also, like it has definitely been a thing that like I look forward to every week now. So that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, we will we will be keep talking about that in the coming weeks. So. For sure. So, yo, to close out, man, uh, what's your song of the week? So with the 25th anniversary of the infamous Mob D put out an expanded edition. They tried this a few years ago and it, it kind of disappeared from the Internet. But they put out a lot of, um, you know, some of the alternate mixes. Shook Ones Part One, which I don't think everyone has necessarily heard. But there's a joint on there that didn't make the infamous called Lifestyles of the Infamous. Mm-hmm. And it, it sounds like it was made between juvenile hell and um like on the earlier side of things man the production the rhyming um there's several verses from each it's just it's it's everything that goes right with a reason to celebrate the infamous yeah what man, about I, lo- I love that um the temperatures rising remix mm. that we talked about that with the havoc um i love that joint um for me it's it's three two seven of what's that guns uh pray for paris you know his joint with joey badass and tyler the creator um that joint is just so rugged to me it's smooth and soulful um you know but but you know typical like grime in terms of their lyrics and it's just i love it it's dope to me that's another one that on paper you know it it not it sounds questionable but they they definitely delivered and it is on our playlist yeah and, and billy esco is on that too so mm-hmm. uh so yeah um that's on the playlist you know check it out it'll be in the links below but yo always a pleasure man same time next sunday man yeah uh, man. stay healthy and uh, everyone listening and watching uh we're pulling for you too and i'm gonna say peace from the west side <laughs> <laughs> word right, peace from the slaughterhouse <laughs>